Guys, welcome to another frat house edition of Contest Prep University. I'm Joe Klimzeski with Adam Atkinson. We are going to talk about natural bodybuilding. And this is a pretty complex conversation, I think, Adam, because uh, you and I had our start there as competitors. And I'm going to go back a little bit to even what I consider a, a bit of the historical aspect of contest prep coaching and the difference between natural and, and unnatural or enhanced bodybuilding. So when I started doing that more than 25 years ago, or more than 20 years ago, I should say, just, just coaching people and, and became known as the first contest prep coach, um, you know, there, again, pre, pre-social media days. And since I started in the WNBF and I was writing for natural bodybuilding and fitness, I think that's where there was just a massive boom. The, you know, one of my clients, of course, was Lane Norton. And then the next generation of coaches became Eric Helms and those guys. And, and so everybody had that home base. But as bodybuilding as a sport became more populated with coaches, you saw some crossover where people were competing in the NPC and so forth. But I think one of the biggest shifts, again, goes to when the creation of men's physique and women's bikini really kicked off. Because the difference 20 years ago in bodybuilding drug-free versus the usage of PEDs was obviously dramatic. You know, if you're a drug-free competitor, you're just not going to have that much of a chance to cross over into the IFBB. But a lot of bikini competitors, a lot of men's physique competitors could and so that's where there was this massive changeover. And when we asked the question, is natural bodybuilding dying or what's the, what's the future for it? I'm going to probably end up on the side where I say a rising tide lifts all ships. And I, and I think there's dogmatic evidence to show both have improved. But how do you see from your perspective in your career where more emphasis is and, and the, the, just the perspective competitors have on where they want to be, where, where they've got the biggest future or, or gain the most advantage. Absolutely. I like that you brought it back to, you know, men's physique and women's bikini because I predominantly only coach natural back in the day. And then I remember uh, we were sharing Ashley Barnhart back in the day. And uh, she was like, I want to do the Arnold bikini amateur and I thought what even is that mm -hmm. <laughs> so she was always a figure competitor and yeah when I when I went I saw how organized it was it was uh, one of my first NPC shows um, I was like wow this is uh, this is just done way more organized at a bigger level and uh, I think that I have people who can drug free obviously compete in this division and do very well so I, I think you're right. I think that was where the big shift is. Now, I think there's a lot of really interesting things. I think that this could even be a per division shift, you know, do. And it's interesting. Are guys just going to stick in classic and protect their health maybe a little bit more? Or are they going to go into open bodybuilding? Um, I felt like open bodybuilding kind of died just a little bit, but now you've got some pros like Nick Walker. Um, some of these guys are great entertainers and they're really great for promoting the sport and uh, drawing interest to it. So now you're kind of seeing a lot of guys getting that big and going into open bodybuilding. 
there's obviously more um, drugs available now. Um, they're easily available due to the internet now, uh, where it wasn't that it wasn't that easy to find back in the day. You know, maybe I'm just more aware of it now, but it just seemed like that stuff was not easy to obtain. So I think that that's made it go in that other direction. But I also think that the health concerns, the lack of knowledge has brought people to a spot where they're like, I don't want to mess with that. So I'm going to stay in maybe this more uh, niche area of bodybuilding that's just natural shows only. And I still have, you know, probably a third of my clients that are that way. They do not want to take any PEDs. And um, I know that's a line that... Uh, I, I never really push anyhow, so I definitely support that. Uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up on that, I think it really depends on the Federation's rules if they're really trying to cage you in and not let you do anything else. Like I'm gonna throw the OCB under the bus, but when they said you can't compete in the NPC, like why would you not want your competitors to compete you know, against uh, the best in the world, essentially, that's going to raise the bar for the OCB standards. And then you'll see better people at the Yorton and so forth. So I thought personally, like, I'll just straight up say that was a horrible idea. Mm. <laughs> so you're already taking a, a what's that? Well, in, in different drug free organizations have made that same move back and forth, back and forth over the last few you know years. And it is always, you know, whenever you're the least inclusive, you are the loser. You know, you're you're limiting yourself. People will leave. But I, I'm going to bring it back to another big cultural shift that you mentioned, which is, um, you know, just just social media and the fact that, you know, you mentioned PEDs may not have been very uh, available for a certain time when, when they became classified as scheduled substances in the 80s. I think it was very, very, very tough. And now that there are so many HRT clinics and so many physicians are more willing to say, well, okay, you know, done correctly and monitored properly, you know, I, I can buy into that. So I, I think there are definitely more options there, but all of that plus social media, I think has made it such a level playing field that now it's just simply down to who is running their business model the best, because there is a constant, almost never ending shift of people interested in something like bodybuilding is even as just kind of a bucket list thing. Like I want to do this one time. I want to have that look. Why not? Why not do something with it? And I mean, a lot of, a lot of first time competitors come to me and they just ask, where should I compete? And whoever they're listening to online, wherever they're seeing affiliations, you know, some of them local, some of them not, sometimes they have multiple options. Uh, I, I think the survivability of natural bodybuilding has to do with just that. You can't rely on just thinking that through recognition or a grassroots effort, like people will find you. And I'll give you one example. Uh, I believe it was about seven or eight years ago when Chalo Publishing, um, you know, decided to relinquish the INBF and the WNBF and Nancy Andrews, the current president, bought it and brought in Bob Bellantina Smith as partners, they had, they had less than, you know, like six, seven, eight international affiliates. Well, now they're over 30 international affiliates and their world championships have gone to a two day format with, with close to 400 international competitors. 
that's just sheer effort on their part. Their marketing, as you said, they're becoming more aggressive in how they promote and how they, you know, train judges. And so they are they are treating it like a real business now and they are thriving. So that's that's one drug-free organization that's doing everything right. You mentioned the OCB is kind of failing in a couple of ways. And so I, I think to, to, to even question is natural bodybuilding as a thing dying? I think that's one big element, you know, just the fact that it is now a level playing field with social media and you just have to get out there and do your homework as a business. I think that's a good point. I will say, yeah, the INBF, WNBF has done a great job on getting that uh, international uh you know, attention, uh, you know, I'm aware of a decent amount of their world champions overseas. And if you were to tell me who the OCB's international champions are, even if they have them, I don't know if they do. But yeah, the I, I've always been partial to the INBF, WNBF as well. Um, probably just due to more connections with the people, um, promoters, uh, that was that was what was predominantly available in my area. There were about three or four IMBF shows back in the day that I could choose from. I think there was one OCB in Pittsburgh and then one NGA show held twice a year in my area. So those were my choices aside from the NPC, which I dabbled in as well. But I really like the IMBF probably because I went to those more per year and made more connections. Mm -hmm. So another thing that I think is a big pivot point is when we come back to bikini men's physique and the fact that really good genetics without any PEDs or very little can, can still attract people into the, the higher level NPC shows, what we have to go back to, and I'll, I'll give you some evidence anecdotally in terms of what my clients tell me and, and what their perspectives are. Um, you know, a, a lot of people just think that that's where the true recognition is. So many people want to get that IFBB pro card. They want to be on that Olympia stage. And so when you see some of the, the big national qualifiers and they, these are four day qualifying events and you have over a thousand competitors. And as you said, it's a, it's a smoothly run, well-oiled machine getting competitors in and you have multiple chances you can go up and down you know age classes for example at the you know masters national championships i have talked to competitors who could easily qualify for drug-free competition you know they are they are natural athletes and I, I get a couple reactions sometimes a like what's that they don't even know that there's an option and when I tell them, you know, you're, you, you may be struggling over here. You're not getting the call outs you want. It looks like, you know, genetically, you may not match up as well as you think, but you could come to a drug-free organization and literally kill it. Like when a pro card, when a pro, like you could be a gamer and some people still like, yeah, no, thanks. You know, because they really do want that IFBB status and that, that national level NPC status. And so I think that's that's one hindrance, perhaps, to natural bodybuilding. But again, there are other people who think just the opposite. A lot of people would say, well, yeah, I want to I want to stay where there's a level playing field. And it becomes almost very uh, values based and kind of an iconic battle in their mind that I'm going to stay here. This is where the, the good people are like we don't do that bad stuff. It's illegal. And, you know, they 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 equate some kind of moral judgment to it. And, you know, that's their perspective and that's fine. 
but that's, that's almost the anchor point for natural bodybuilding. There are, are still so many people like that, that, that just look at the, the enhanced level of the sport and just say, there's, there's no way I'm going to support that. Yeah. Some people do that where it's a, they don't want to support their entry fee going to fuel, you know, and, and I can kind of understand that because people do that with shopping, whether it be Target, Chick-fil-A or anything like that. It's kind of the same, you know, concept there. And, you know, I don't know if it necessarily makes that big of a difference to such a big federation if one person doesn't show up, because I find very few people are that um, morally engaged into that. But I do know quite a few top level, you know, um, WNBF or, well, previous OCB pros who said they will never support an NPC show just based on that. So they feel like they're supporting enhanced bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. I do think that, you know, when we're looking at if natural bodybuilding's dying or not, I, I think that if there was one thing that could help it, it would be either the NPC taking it over and saying, we're going to start a limited division or, and an unlimited division. And, you know, unlimited can be, you can take anything you want and limited will have, you know, one WADA test that you need to pass that everyone agrees on. Of course, we all know how dicey that is, but um, if they just draw a fine line in the sand, this is, you know, what natural is, and this is what natural is not. Um, you know, they have the ability to do that. And I think that uh, it could be more money for them. And I think that that could be a good way to regrow it. Um, now, natural bodybuilding is just so divided. And I think that's been what really shot itself in the foot. Where I want to say 2014, 15, right, was when all these federations just started popping up everywhere. And uh, you could have a show 200 miles away that was natural also. So now just divide those competitors half here, half here. And, uh, you know, 12 people per the entire show when they could have had 24 if they all got their heads together. Mm -hmm. You know, I will say I, I'm a little bit split on this because I don't know if we can empirically say like what what helps more if you if you just look at any any commercial industry you know wherever there is a walmart target builds across the street wherever there's a cvs walgreens builds across the street because they want that traffic they they know those those consumer habits are there so if, if you stay with the path that a rising tide lifts all ships even even a promoter for example that has one really good show that promoter will know, well, if, if there's another show a month earlier or two weeks earlier or two weeks later, and, and we kind of, you know, they, they may compete in both of our shows. And, and just like any franchising, a lot of people understand that, that you shouldn't just say, okay, I have a, a contest in Portland. So now let's put one in Washington, DC. You almost want to just go to the outer fringe. So you have enough support from that current promoter's influence to, to take it out and create another little orbit. And then you go a little bit further and a little bit further. So I have seen where you can't have clusters of organizations that have contests and promoters together. And that tends to really just kind of build the culture. So now there, there's more awareness about the sport. Um, but in, in not so densely populated areas, that's where it does hurt. So where I'm at in Evansville, Indiana, you have to drive three hours to get to the next city. 
um, you know, if you're on the East Coast or West Coast, you're basically, you know, every five minutes, there's a city. And, and so, I, you know, I have seen that the contests out here, if you don't have really good affiliations with an organization, the NANBF, the OCB, the INBF, and you're on their mailing lists, and they don't have that, that history and that depth of, of competitive experience, it is really, really tough to grow something from scratch where the NPC does seem to just have that bigger, more unified network. So I, I, I love free enterprise. I love competition that makes everybody, you know, become a little bit better. I don't ever see these different independently owned drug-free federations all joining together and saying, yay, we're now one. Um, but at the same time, through normal dynamics, the best should rise. They should continue to get more market share and the weaker ones should fade away. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm just seriously, uh, you know, of the mindset because maybe 12, 15 years ago before bikini, before men's physique, I would have just bet money that the entire sport of bodybuilding was, was going to eventually go away. And it's only stronger than ever now. And, and I think it's because of that inclusiveness of those two divisions, which does tend to blur the lines between drug-free and enhanced. It was definitely a smart idea to bring it in and it, it massively grew the sport as well. It definitely, you know, everything's kind of progressive. You know, you look at bikini and you'll see a girl maybe meet that criteria right away. And then she's like, well, I want to grow more muscle. So the next thing you know, she's into figure and then maybe women's physique if they have amazing genetics. And we see that all the time. And I think at the end of the day, too, one thing we have to consider is a lot of these physiques we're seeing on the Olympia stage there, they would have killed it in natural bodybuilding. And, you know, they just did very little. They may not even be enhanced for all we know, some of them. Uh, some people just have really crazy genetics. And that's always what you're working with at the end of the day. I always like to say my pros are made from scratch versus acquired. So we're really good at creating pros, but I don't necessarily have people with just, you know, insane genetics come to me all the time, but when they do, they're going to do even better, obviously, because we can make things from scratch. I think that that's where it's tough because you're only going to see such a high bar in natural bodybuilding because people are probably going to make more money or maybe even get better sponsorships if they're just um, from a business standpoint promoted a little bit more broadly in a bigger federation. So I think that the money kind of makes people make their decisions as well. So, so what do you think, um, you know, let's just say that, that natural bodybuilding has two or three big players in it as federations. What do you think they could do to just keep going and, and keep growing and, and keep seeing uh, drug-free sports advance just as, as the NPC or IPB? What do, what do you think their biggest challenge is? What would you advise them to do? I think the biggest challenge is a uh agreeing on what is considered natural and maybe if they can't come to agreement on that they do subcategories for like maybe people only on trt or something like that so they can still draw some people in i mean heck there's shows that have wheelchair bodybuilding and you wouldn't think they'd be a great turnout but since 
people are willing to host it, you'll sometimes see four or five wheelchair bodybuilders show up. And it's really cool to see something be that inclusive. I mean, heck, you could probably take it as far as hair color and bikini if you wanted and say this is the group of the blondes and the brunettes. But, you know, you really have to decide where you're going to cut off those federations and the um, the rules, essentially, because you can get... I mean, when it comes down to chemical structure and mechanism of action, a lot of people feel a lot of different ways. So I think that's one huge component. I also think maybe the organizations getting their heads together, at least on one show, that this is like the ultimate Grand Prix of bodybuilding. So the best of each federation gets to come to this level. And let's see who has the best bodybuilder from what federation. Put an OCB judge, put a... INBF judge on there, try to kind of make it fair and, uh, you know, go from there. That's a really good idea. I like that. Uh, let, let me backtrack a little bit uh, to your question. And, and I think most of the people I know in the hierarchy of natural bodybuilding would just say no way, no chance in terms of saying, well, we're going to be a drug free organization, but we're going to allow, uh, you know, TRT or something because of just the question of abuse. Now, I, I think technically, you would say, well, you know, maybe those people just have to go ahead and pony up for a better chemical test, a, a blood draw, something with this, you can like, kind of like COVID tests. You have to have a test within two days or a week or something. But then again, like, where is that abuse line where somebody was doing this level for this long and then they come down for a month before the contest or something? So I, I think that becomes an issue. Um, but I do remember way back in the day, even, even a female on levothyroxine or Synthroid or something for a, just a legitimate life-altering medical need, and they would say, nope, can't do that. You know, that's, quote, cheating. And I think there's been some relaxation of things like that. Um, but just d dig a little bit deeper. Besides TRT, would you say agree upon what's natural and what's not? Um, are there other things you think that, that kind of blur that line or, or is it just mostly hormone replacement? If I remember right, DHEA is the big divider right now. Um, so that's a precursor to, you know, all the hormones in your body. And when you're a master's, like sometimes a little bit of DHEA can go a long way for health and longevity. Um, also in certain instances of cancer and stuff, it might be something you want to stay away from depending on, you know, if it was like an estrogenic based type cancer or something like that, you obviously don't want your hormone supply increasing. So I think, you know, that the DHEA is a really debatable uh, part and it, it can be very helpful for masters people to be on it, prevent hot flashes, especially for women. And, uh, you know, when someone's taking it, you're not really getting that big of a performance boost from it, like people would think that you would, but it can be very helpful just for overall longevity and just uh, overall sense of well-being. But, you know, that's kind of that line in the sand. Is that too much? We could go as far as saying, what if they start debating creatine again, or just any supplements at all? Uh, but you can't really test for those things, um, to my knowledge. But, you know, they could kind of take it as far as they wanted, or maybe not far enough, like you said. What I remember back in the day as well, um, 
and maybe they still do this, but some drug-free organizations like the WNBF, you know, do reserve the right to do surprise checks on people. Um, I remember that. And I don't know if they do that anymore, but, you know, I'll, I'll swing us back a little bit more to just the organizational level. Um, but I, you know, I think this is an interesting idea, especially as you're describing it, just from a health perspective, if somebody is taking something like, you know, thyroid hormone replacement, you know, anabolic hormone replacement, things like that, like, like why are they all of a sudden just punted over by default? Um, it would be interesting to have just, I don't know. Cause then I, I don't know if you could even fill enough classes with that. Um, but anyway, one of the big hindrances I saw for a long time with drug-free bodybuilding is just that the NPC and IPB really accelerated so quickly with better technology. And so from information, uh, you know, the, the things that you can see with, with judging scorecards and photos online, almost, almost in real time, starting to live stream some events. Uh, there was a big gap before drug-free bodybuilding started doing that. It, and it's, it's, often due to just resources, not having the manpower, not having the organizational structure worldwide or nationally. I, I do see some of them like the WNBF having really made some strides to catch up. But uh, are there any of those kind of obstacles where you hear clients just say, man, that was a horrible experience. Like they're like, that was like going back into the seventies for a contest. I think it's judging variability. So when these shows happen, and they're maybe not getting judges that are doing this every weekend or as often. I think that, that that's deterred some of my pros from doing those CB anymore is uh, the variability. And they, even though a lot of people will bitch about the NPC when they don't do well, uh, it is a little bit more standardized and consistent. I've had a lot of my athletes move over just due to that. Of course, they're in divisions that are like bikini and figure, um, typically not bodybuilding. They're usually already there in the first place. But yeah, a lot of them have switched based on judging consistency or knowing what to expect when they're there. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll wrap up my end and then pitch it back to you for final comments by saying I'm going to come back to running it like a business. The, the more time I've spent in the sport, I, I early on got surprised by hearing this because I was always about the sport, moving up, self-development. What's that next title? And, and an awful lot of people have always talked about the, quote, exposure. And uh, maybe that was getting some kind of feature in a, in a magazine at one point. Now it's perhaps seeing your pictures on those websites, uh, just being able to use the title that you're a nationally qualified competitor or that you have gotten your IBB pro card. A lot of people who coach now, they want those, those feathers in their caps for credibility. And I think drug-free bodybuilding could go a long way by simply adding that kind of clout, you know, literally look for ways to give their, their winners and their champions and their participants just more exposure create better traffic websites where, you know, there's biographical information or contact information. Uh, that, that is one place I still see them lagging. And, and I think if they were able to advertise and then deliver on that kind of participatory recognition, I think more people would have the pride in the ambition of, of being in those organizations instead of thinking that, 
there's just not even a close second place to the NPC IFBB. Yeah, I think also educating why certain substances are banned would be helpful too. And actually like product labels, like here's some of the main manufacturers of this. I actually had a lady go to compete in a show and she had no idea she was taking something on the banned substance list and and nor did I. And uh, she had taken clenbuterol, I think it was uh, two years ago. So she wasn't in the three-year window for that show, and they asked her about it, and she's like, you know, I didn't even think about it because it had been so long ago. And she's like, I haven't even taken anything over the counter since. But, you know, when they asked her that question, her heart dropped, and she said, wait, three years? I've been off for two. And they were like, you can't compete. So that was a really disappointing text to get, you know, once she had checked in and everything. Yeah, I totally agree. That and again, that comes back to manpower, which is the ability to just create content, create content, create content, where you're you're keeping your members informed and you're really getting that out there. But uh, so, so just one little administrative note for us in Contest Prep University, uh, as you guys have noticed, those of you who watch and view regularly, Adam and I are just kind of staying in this frat house lane for just a bit to kind of kind of beef up our um, our flow, so to speak, in terms of what we're doing here. If you're looking for very, very specific information, how to manage a peak week, how to consider the best contest dieting methodology, we have over 500 episodes in very short series like that, very targeted. So make sure you check that out on all the major platforms. Uh, But we're also going to keep weaving in some of these longer form conversational episodes and eventually start getting some guests with us. I think that's going to be kind of fun. So Adam, thanks again for everything you do for us and everybody watching, listening. We'll see you next time in Contest Prep University.